Welcome to Fertility Awareness Project. I'm your host, Nat Dode. Okay. I would love to start, Jamie, with a cycle check-in. <laughs> I know that you're pregnant. So do you want to tell us what trimester you're in and how you're feeling today? Mm-hmm. So I know you always do these cycle check-ins, so I did check, and I think I'm on day like 175, which um, <laughs> is 24 weeks. So that is second trimester, and I am feeling good. It's interesting to have more body awareness this time around, and I just notice sort of myself opening and loosening. Mm. Um, so, you know, in terms of rib cage, um, but also just like hips, and so... The only struggle, and I know this is a very minor complaint, and I'm so lucky, is just, you know, some tightness in the muscles around my hip. And so I have been struggling a lot in pregnancy with, you know, the idea of cyclical slowing down. And I know you have a lot to say about that, too, just in terms of any extended cycle and when you find time for rest, because you Mm. don't necessarily have that luteal phase to give you pause. And I'm still finding that balance, but, you know, I'm listening to my body when it tells me it's time for that. So that was definitely last night with a calendula magnesium bath and making sure I was actually taking time to stretch out my body. And so, you know, it's so interesting to think of pregnancy as an extended cycle because I am very excited Mm -hmm. to start cycling again. But even now, you know, sort of implementing those cycling habits or mindsets to make sure that my self-care is still happening. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I've heard that from I've heard that from people before who are pregnant that like they I mean <clears throat> in menstrual cycle awareness it's often talked about like boring the phases of the moon if you're not cycling. Mm. And but sometimes you don't feel even like a cyclical change in how you're feeling like often or what I've heard is that it's more of like a day-to-day change in how you're feeling and there is no cycle outside of you that kind of guides your self-care and so it can be really challenging in a long cycle or in pregnancy to be like okay it's time to slow down because there's nothing like aside from your own body that's telling you to do that so it's really fascinating to hear kind of your process in making time for the waxing and waning of your self-care and your energy and kind of taking care of yourself. And yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that, like looking forward to cycling piece of it too. I, I definitely, I definitely miss it and can really resonate with where you're at. Would you be able to share a little bit about your fertility awareness journey, how you found yourself to where you are now and what the highlights on your journey have been? Yeah, absolutely. And so as I'm sure we'll get into, my fertility awareness practice, you know, really started as natural family planning prep. And I started charting when I was 19. I had met my future husband. We weren't sexually active or anything, but I started charting to get aware of my cycles. And also growing up, especially from the time of menarche and then through college, 
I had debilitating cramping. And of course, without surgery, you can't confirm endometriosis, but two of the women Mm -hmm. in my family have it. And so there was, you know, oh, that's probably what you have. So I did start charting to just have some data. My husband and I learned Creighton initially. And so I charted with that for half a year or so before we got married. During that time, you know, it was helpful because I, at one point, suspected I was having some sort of unusual discharge, which looking back now and having worked with clients, I suspect it was just me overanalyzing what I was seeing. But, you know, I did go see my NAPRO practitioner, who was a registered nurse, and, you know, we checked for any sort of infection or anything. And so that definitely was sort of my first dip into fertility awareness as, you know, a health tool. So that was definitely an interesting sort of aspect of it. But, yeah, so, you know, I learned Creighton initially. We got married in the summer of 2018, and by the fall, you know, we're loosely trying to conceive and succeeded our first cycle sort of bending rules. Mm-hmm. And really where my whole fam journey takes off would be the postpartum period, which, you know, as a Billings instructor, I'm sure you're aware is really the stickiest of all times. Um, yep. And at the time, my past instructor had passed me off to someone in town who was not a good mm-hmm. fit. He was a much older man. And when I was expressing, you know, confusion about continuous discharge, which we know is to be expected in that postpartum period, yeah, he asked me, are you sure you're not pregnant again? Mm. And that was the straw that just broke the exhausted camel's back. So I was so furious. And I came home and decided I was doing this all myself because Mm. really for my whole journey, I... I would, you know, I'm a very motivated person, and I would still say I was never truly autonomous. I was very nervous about all of it, and we'll get into it, right? There are some common misconceptions about fertility awareness as natural family planning that sort of just seep into, you know, your own sort of mindset around Mm. charting, but it wasn't a good fit for me, so I created spreadsheets of methods with rules and sort of decided what was the best for me. You know, when you're self-learning, you find either taking charge of your fertility or um, the Sense of Plan handbook, which is what I ended up finding. But with the Celsius Fahrenheit conversion and being someone who didn't have a good background in the rules, I was nervous about that, which led me to Symptopro because the two methods are very similar. We just chart in Fahrenheit. They're similar, they're not identical, but I fell in love with it. So I successfully charted that return of fertility. I got my first period back about 13 months postpartum, and my daughter was weaned, so subsequent cycles were very easy for me to chart. Although, and this is very interesting, and I'm sure any postpartum listeners would resonate, your cycle changes. You may not be Mm. quite as familiar with it, even if it, you know, is... 28, 30, 35 days, the mucus pattern changes. And I've seen this in the literature too. It's very interesting. But, you know, I didn't have any trouble with it. And so I decided, wow, this method is incredible. You know, I I was glad that I had ended up in this place, even if it was, you know, through some frustration yeah. um, 
And so I just decided, I, I think my daughter was 18 months at the time. I was like, I finally sort of have the energy, have the capacity to find a program to teach. I want to make sure nobody feels like I did in the first leg of my charting journey. You know, my goal is to make sure people are autonomous and that they have support that's not judgmental if they yeah. need help down the line. But I truly wanted to learn all that I could within a structured program so that I could give people the information. I felt that even taking a class, I didn't get the mm. full picture. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I I started that program November 2020 and okay. finished up that early March 2022. So, and that's where we are today. Mm. And what was, what were kind of like your impression of the SymptoPro training? Because I know for a lot of people who are wanting to be trained in a symptothermal method, they're often drawn to SymptoPro. Mm. Now that you're through the program, you're officially graduated. What is your kind of general take on that training? Yeah, I very much enjoyed it. So I think there was about three months of sort of what I'd call book work. You know, there's a manual you go through with quizzes and activities that you send to a supervising instructor. And I had a great relationship with her through this 18-month charting process or nice. training process. So, you know, for like the price point is very accessible for a lot of people. I think it's like $400. And, you know, obviously that that's a chunk of money. I understand. I just mean in terms of some of the and programs that I've seen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you don't have to travel for any trainings, you know, that was a draw for me as a stay-at-home mom. So I really enjoyed the training aspect. And I do feel that the program gives you so many examples to look through, which I think is really sort of the thing you should be looking for. How long are you going through this program? Because, you know, it's one thing to be like, wow, great, this program is like three months long, and then I'll be ready to go. But, you know, as you're doing this book work, and you're like, what does this mean in real life? Looking at all the examples we have from like a client chart database, working with clients. So I had to get six cyclers through six cycles in order to complete the practicum. And by the time that I was done, I think I was closer to 30 clients just with how I sort of take clients on one on one. So it's a lot of clients. I, it's a lot of clients. <laughs> I just felt so ready, you know, to sort of be in the real world by the time I finished that practicum. And so I would applaud them for that. You know, I've had conversations with my supervisor about the things that could be sort of updated in that manual because it's a little older and some of the assignments, you know, aren't applicable anymore because it's taught online now to all of us. Okay. But I also appreciate, I took the theology portion of the course because I do offer natural family planning classes, but I've heard from other non-Catholic instructors that that's not required. So that, I, I do find that really great. You know, we've also sort of moved away from packets that include all of the NSP stuff if your clients aren't Catholic. 
And so, you know, I, I appreciate that there's a recognition that the bulk of at least my clients aren't Catholic and this information can still be given to them without mm-hmm. making them feel uncomfortable because, you know, their beliefs don't line up with sort of the NFP mm-hmm. aspect of it. So Yeah, I'll, and just being yeah. able to like have the option is nice, you know, like yep. being able to to as it as an instructor have that yep. option. Like if it is open to non Catholic instructors, then to have the option to tailor your teaching accordingly. Mm-hmm. How does SymptoPro handle a basic infertile pattern? Or is there any like instruction on managing delayed pre-ovulatory, like long pre-ovulatory phases when there are no dry days? Is there anything around that in SymptoPro? Yes, absolutely. And this is one thing I've sort of been in conversation with other SymptoPro instructors about because we use a method or we use rules that don't have a citation in the instructor manual, but I suspect are very similar to Billings because some of the images mm. in that instructor manual are dead ringers for Billings sort of material. But so I have established basic infertile patterns with clients. And so, you know, for anyone who's not familiar with that, that would just mean we recognize that when we have an extended preovulatory phase, some of that mucus may not be fertile or required to be considered fertile if we're seeing a pattern of this over and over. Um, so clients with PCOS are the clients that I see this most often with. SymptoPro has very conservative guidelines for when we can apply a basic infertile pattern to cycles. So. If a client has cycles that are 35 days or less, we just generally don't suggest it because that's a pretty narrow window of time. And so our confidence in what's truly a BIP just based on our categories for mucus and sensation and where that change could very quickly occur in the fertile window, I think, you know, that's just too short of a time. But for my clients who have 40 plus day cycles, and we see this consistent pattern. And so this is where you could not self-teach a BIP yeah. because I'm having them chart very, very, very closely, you know, using very specific descriptions for this and then sort of identifying, okay, this is where your change is. So on top of that, you know, we do have that during rule that, you know, we may be able to sort of cross-check with that BIP so they feel mm-hmm. more confident about it. But yeah, we're, we just don't suggest it for what we'd consider typical cycles. Yeah. I know billing. Cool. Yeah. Billings is a little different. Yeah. But it is, it's similar in like the general idea of it. And I think like the main thing with a BIP is that, like you said, like if someone is in a long cycle, really doing it on your own can be a little bit risky that the process is done closely with an instructor like you said Jamie where you're really paying attention to your observations day by day and you have an instructor clarify those observations in billings you can apply a BIP in cycles under 35 days mm-hmm. but that's that pattern has to show up cycle after cycle after cycle so you can't use those days right away you need to see them come back after multiple cycles and then there are rules around like how many types of discharge it's 
the bird is discharged in failings, but like how many types of cervical mucus you can have in a BIP mm-hmm. depending on how long your cycle is and, and there's rules around like dry days, like if you have dry days, how does how does that kind of apply in regards to a BIP? So there are like a lot of like nitty gritty rules with billings but what I really appreciate is that they really walk you through how to mm-hmm. establish a BIP like when I took FEM I've talked about this before but when I took FEM it was like okay a BIP exists and we have these yellow stamps for <laughs> infertile discharge but like good luck yeah like applying these in a client's chart like they exist and we acknowledge their existence but there just isn't that like close mentorship from supervisors to actually apply the BIP. And so that's where it's really awesome to hear that some DoPro is like actually like, you know, going a little more in depth or, or giving instructors the tools to actually use that. Yeah, I had I had a client come to me with Sam Yellow stamps and I asked her what these were and they were just sort of used haphazardly and she didn't quite know when you know like what the guideline from her previous instructor had been but I will say you know so postpartum and perimenopause are where we have what I think Billings considers that basic mucus rule I think that's what you guys call it too maybe but essentially you know we recognize patches of mucus but if I have a client who has sort of more typical cycles and they see a continuous discharge, just me personally, I will sort of refer them to an instructor in billings because I feel that it would be a disservice to be like, yes, we could do this together, but Mm. I know that billings is really set up for that sort of thing. And so I think that's okay too, right? I'm sure we'll talk about this with NFP, but a lot of people don't realize there are other methods that may suit their needs better. And I think one downfall can be a method trying to do it all. You know, when I said we we have a BIP protocol, but I'd feel more comfortable and more honest letting people know they should go to the method that has the literature on it, you know, that has the studied efficacy rates. Because we shouldn't try to do it all. We should make sure people have the method that's the best fit for them so they get the highest efficacy they can out of it. Yeah, I um I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't I think a lot of people don't realize that there are multiple methods. Like there are so many methods that each method has its pros and cons and there is just a whole world under the umbrella of fertility awareness based methods that work in different ways and work for different life stages and scenarios and it it's really important. I think like what you spoke to really underscores the importance of the field of fertility awareness education because it's something that fertility awareness educators take really seriously and and I think that the training that we receive really helps us think in a certain way where we are going to have those conversations with our clients and understand those nuances that I think are what sets fertility awareness educators apart from a lot of other professions, if you call it a profession. It's not a really a profession, but 
like field, I guess, that we can have those, that nuanced understanding of what methods are right for our clients and really having that appreciation for different scenarios and different needs and what might work for someone might not work for someone else. And so, yeah, I really like that you spoke to that because I think that's something that us as fertility awareness educators need to remember that Mm. um, sets us apart. And like that, that is our specific skill set when we're trained in fertility awareness based methods. Maud's products have been a part of my everyday self-care for a long time now. I love Maud because they create high-quality, non-toxic, and modern sexual wellness and personal care products. My favorites from them are Shine, which is a water-based lubricant, and Rise, which is their high-quality, ultra-thin condoms. To get $5 off your next order, use code NAT5 at checkout when you go to getmod.com. It absolutely, it takes humility and it takes recognizing the limits of your methods. Like I am Simpa Pro's mm-hmm. biggest fangirl and yet I will still not hesitate if somebody reaches out to me to be, to, you know, admit I think you you would be much happier with a billings instructor. Let's see who we can find for you. You know, that's, yeah, at the end of the day, it comes down to helping spread, you know, these methods as effective for people because you can find what you need. And taking myself out of that equation, you know, I don't need all the clients in the world. I need clients who are going to thrive using this method and are going to be happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, like, like billings might not be for everyone, too, Mm -hmm. because billings requires very, very close support from an instructor because it's cervical mucus only. And it requires this, like, really intensive learning period where you are meeting every two weeks and you're clarifying every single day of your chart quite in depth. And you have to really take into account the type of sex you're having, Mm -hmm whether like the time of day that you're having sex and making sure all that is on your chart because that will potentially impact your cervical mucus patterns. And it's very, it's very simple, but it's also very particular at the same time. And so billings might be for some people, but it also might not be for other people. Mm -hmm. And they may want that cross check with, with temperature as well. So yeah, I think it is, it, it is, does take humility to pass on clients and refer out but ultimately it is important that people find a method that works for them and and like you said with your own fertility awareness learning journey you had to work with a few educators and you had to have those experiences before you found Symptro Pro which was a much better fit for you mm-hmm. and so sometimes it does take that you know you might be working with different educators or finding out about different methods and that's okay that's okay too Cool. Okay. I would love to talk about NFP a little bit. We alluded to it and I, on this season of the podcast, have been really asking some tough questions (laughs) around NFP, fertility awareness-based methods, and this underlying theme that exists in the world of fertility awareness-based methods around religion Mm -hmm. and 
the origins of fertility awareness do come from the Catholic Church. And so there is this underpinning, and I think a lot of people don't really realize that this exists until they start looking a little bit deeper into the origins of methods or they're looking into teacher training and they're like, why does this teacher training talk about marriage and sex in this way and and abstinence and all of this stuff? And so I am, am someone who is very curious. I didn't grow up Christian, but I have been surrounded by a lot of Christian communities growing up. And my background, like my dad's side of the family, were Catholic. Mm. So I have like Catholic roots, but I didn't grow up Catholic. And so I think that's kind of where my curiosity comes from. And so, yeah, I'm just really curious to ask these questions and hear from different points of view around this. And I, I think the best way or the first question that I had for you around NFP is kind of some of these misconceptions mm-hmm. that people might have around NFP. What are some of the things that you hear, some of the things that you've come up against around the misconceptions that surround NFP? Yeah, absolutely. So what's so interesting is I just read this book called Everything Below the Waist by Jennifer Block, and it starts out, I think she mentions the Billings ovulation method in like, in Eric Oldeblad in like the first page. But a couple pages in, she quotes Lisa Hendricks and Jack, you know, this great pillar of the fertility awareness community who says, you know, one of the reasons fertility awareness might not be generally accepted is because of this sort of association with religion, right? So it's just so interesting to, you know, hear that sort of right off the bat, right? And what's so interesting about it is a lot of people assume that, you know, there's it's it's mo- there's mostly a spiritual component to it, right? Because if we're looking at how the church, the Catholic church views sex, you know, in the eyes of the church, Sex is a unitive and procreative act within marriage, which you're right. That's why a lot of people are like, wait a second, why are we talking about spouses? Why are we talking about abstinence? But that's that's how the Catholic Church views sex. And so when we're looking at Catholics who accept this view, and I was just reading a master's thesis last night about, you know, 2% of Catholics use natural family planning. And so this thesis Mm -hmm. was exploring how we other Catholics construct their identity around Mm -hmm. Catholicism, but without accepting all of its teachings, right? And so this is, this is a, a big issue even in the church itself. But one misconception is that it doesn't work because people assume it's the church telling people completely avoid sex for this certain amount of time, and then, you know, have sex and you'll avoid children. And so you get stats like, well, one in four women will have a pregnancy because of that. So NFP becomes this thing that's just basically the rhythm method or my favorite, Vatican roulette, without realizing that it's grounded in research by scientists, Mm -hmm. by chemists, by doctors, and it actually is studied. 
again, though, the problem is when we're talking about fertility awareness as NFP, right, which a lot of us who are Catholics and are trying to redefine this in terms that aren't just NFP, you know, because mm-hmm. immediately people think, well, that means eight children. For us, fertility, yeah. uh, NFP is fertility awareness and discernment, right? And I'm, I can get into this later, sort of how that plays out in my own life and what that means. But it's just like when you go out in the world and hear fertility awareness method and you don't get any other information on whether that's yeah. a mucus-only method, whether that's symptothermal. A lot of people just think NFP is the thing and, you know, in their minds, maybe that's the rhythm method. So that's a big misconception. You know, it doesn't work because it's it's not real science. But another issue that I see is that when couples, you know, who want to maybe implement this in their lives as part of their faith, they're they're given like two options. And hope you know, hopefully this changes. I've had conversations with others. We're really looking to see a change parish to parish, right? This is sort of something that has to go go from the grounds up. But you're given two options and maybe they're not the best fit for you. Like this conversation mm-hmm. we've already been having today. But you don't know any different. So yeah. like me, you learn Creighton because that's you know, literally, I think I someone gave me a phone number of someone they knew who taught it, and I didn't have any options. I didn't know who in the area, you know, I could reach out to or even that I could learn this online. And so when it came to postpartum and that wasn't a good fit, that could have ended in a way I wasn't happy with, right? Like I could have ended up with an accidental pregnancy had I been trying to apply these rules that really didn't work for my cycle. And then you get lay people who teach the couple to couple league, which is another sort of symptothermal, it's not necessarily a method itself, but they have rules. Yeah, like that's really like the big two that at least me and all my friends who got married around the same time, like those were your options at the time. Yeah. And so I think, again, I, I maybe this falls under that umbrella of NFP not working because people are like, well, these methods aren't good fits for me, so therefore it doesn't work. But then, of course, the elephant in the room is that a lot of the messaging in the church, and again, I, this isn't the church at large's fault. This is just how we implement these programs or offer, you know, resources. We we often hear that natural family planning is easy or that, you know, it's going right. to improve your marriage, right? Those are, yeah. that's the other big, big thing we have to talk about because abstinence in the fertile window is not easy, right? A lot of people aren't happy with that. And I mean, it makes sense from a hormonal perspective for sure. And the idea that natural family planning is going to save your marriage is very, very dangerous because yeah. it's a complete lie. You know, the, if if we're looking to sort of apply the natural family planning perspective of fertility awareness to our lives, that requires a lot of, you know, prayer, discussions, work, inner work for you and your partner. Yeah. It's not easy. And no. one of the privileges 
you know, I always feel extremely privileged when I get to work with a couple who's preparing for marriage and wants to sort of implement this idea of fertility awareness and family planning discernment, you know, through abstinence, because I feel like I didn't necessarily get that sort of heads up and that discussion. It's more like, here's a a beautiful pregnant woman walking through a field and look how happy she is. But to be able to meet with a couple that's preparing for this application of fertility awareness, to give them the reality of it, but also to give them tools if that's what they want, right? Like to feel to feel like I can give them the tools and information that took, you know, three, almost four now years of marriage to sort of develop in my own life. That's just, it's one of my greatest pleasures. Um, hmm. Yeah. I love that. Oh my goodness. There's just so much there, Jamie. I really <laughs> appreciate you. I just want to say, I really appreciate you taking the time to break it down and really explain things from your perspective because it's really helpful and insightful to hear and one of the things i was thinking about is i'm in a lot of nfp facebook groups Mm -hmm. because i kind of have my toe in the water of nfp doing billings and trying to kind of grapple and understand and put wrap my mind around that element of billings Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i see in a lot of the facebook groups is when abstinence during the fertile window is not working for people and they're really struggling with it it often becomes a personal failure Mm -hmm. like it is responded to by other people who they don't know on the internet that it's their fault Mm -hmm. and that they're just not working hard enough spiritually to make it work for them Mm -hmm. and then that is a personal failure and what it really reminds me of is this element of choice that I feel like exists in secular and religious fertility awareness based methods or just like in reproductive health in general is that there are so many things that are just not spoken about and we are not given true choice around our options for reproductive health that that element of just like not talking about it like you said when people are getting married or just like assuming that it's going to be beautiful and fine and easy is another way of assuming a choice and not giving kind of the full picture so it's really interesting to kind of hear that perspective yeah yeah I I just wanted to say you know I I I think again this isn't necessarily the Catholic Church at largest fault, it's really how has sort of our sex ed and Catholic schools, our NFP classes, our marriage prep, how have they approached issues of sexuality? Because the church sees sex as a good, a true good. It's beautiful. But so many people, and it was so interesting to read these interviews in that paper that I was mentioning with Catholic women who didn't receive any sex education growing up and who don't even know how any, you know, any form of birth control works or emergency contraceptive, you know, they won't use certain types of birth control Mm -hmm. and they think that plan B is an abortifacent. Right. And it just comes down to, yeah, this, this idea that sex is something taboo, right? sexuality is something taboo. This isn't anything you need to know until you're married because otherwise you'll misuse it. 
Yeah. But then it just causes like so much, I mean, and this exists like outside of the Catholic church too, Mm -hmm. right? Like it just causes this like this suffering for people. Yeah. Like it really truly does. Mm Because people are not prepared. People don't have a relationship with their sexuality. People yeah. don't have the information at like about their options, about their bodies, about their physiology, about mm-hmm. contraceptives. And it causes suffering. Yeah. I mean, there is so much misinformation about like female orgasm, you know, yeah. There's so little talk. And I, again, I think it's the idea that, oh, this would be titillating if we talked to couples about before mm. they were married. But nobody even realizes that, you know, if we're, if we're looking at a couple who has waited for marriage, you know, my, my husband and I yeah. did, for instance, you don't get any sort of information about what that first time is going to be like. You don't get any information about how long it could take you personally to orgasm Mm -hmm. or that it's you know even within the church like there are very few things that the church forbids in terms of like what's licit because the church doesn't want to be in the bedroom with you right as I mentioned sort of at the beginning when we're looking at the definition of sex according to the church that that big that big one is that it's procreative, right? And so the idea there is that, like, it ends with ejaculation in the vagina. That's really sort of the only thing that has to be accomplished in order to consider it licit, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. what that means is that women, they don't realize that they're, they can do what they need to feel good, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, we get the totally. definition of sex is like, oh, it's, you know, PIV. A man ejaculating. Mm-hmm. And, like, whenever he's done, that's when sex ends. And, like, you know, like, we don't get any information about that. And, I mean, for my own sort of journey, it's it's a learning process with your partner. But, like, it's it's been really beautiful and, like, deepened our relationship to become comfortable with that kind of communication because of how vulnerable you have to be, right? And just knowing that, you know, it's okay for – the first time not to be perfect and you know we haven't even begun to talk about how the shame of purity culture affects sort of that first time even and you know even if you're in within the bounds of marriage and having sex now there's there can be so much guilt it can be so so awful and require like you know a lot of inner work or even therapy to unpack but yeah you know a, a starting point would literally just be better sex education better acknowledgement of female pleasure and people don't realize sort of that about the church that it's not in the bedroom with you and Mm -hmm. you get a lot of shame you feel a lot of guilt but you know some of it is just completely unnecessary and also heretical (laughs) just in terms of when we look at heresies that seep into the church Mm. so yeah yeah there's a lot there is so much to unpack there, there is so much to unpack, but I feel like we've like really kind of narrowed in on this thread. Mm-hmm. And I really want to kind of bring it back to spirituality mm-hmm. because I think that... So in the conversations that I've had up until now for this season of the podcast, 
that is kind of what I've heard is that no matter whether you use fertility awareness within a religious context or a secular context or whatever, like whether it's in the Catholic church or not, people who use fertility awareness have a spiritual connection to their cycles and their sexuality through this practice of charting. And it's interesting to hear your interpretation of kind of how NFP has gotten to this place of the ways that maybe it's not been misunderstood, but that it's been portrayed or talked about in the church. That there is this thread that goes back to the devotion and reverence that we have for our sexuality mm-hmm. and that we have for our cycles and that we have for this like natural rhythm of our bodies that when we use fertility awareness we do claim and appreciate and revere and so I'm just really curious to hear like for you personally how fertility awareness or NFP, like what role does that have for you spiritually? Or how do you kind of interpret that in the context of your faith and spirituality? Yeah. And this is something that I don't often share on my Instagram. I think (laughs) I actually had someone ask me one time because I did actually share like a chart with an intimacy line. And they're like, are all those missing, you know, all those blank spots? Is that abstinence you know know? people are so nosy (laughs) i'm an an open book so (laughs) i share you know mucus pictures i don't care if people know but um you know i did i i do realize i'm in a small minority for sure but again so my husband and i are both catholic we've both been catholic our whole lives but the older generation of catholics you know, they may sort of turn their noses up at people who have sex outside of marriage or who space children. But I I think especially coming out of the 60s, a lot of Catholics at that time were definitely sort of using birth control. But for both of us, that wasn't something that we were looking to do. For For myself, you know, it was a dislike for synthetic hormones and also knowing my family had a lot of gynecological conditions that I wasn't looking to exacerbate if I had sort of inherited those. And for him, he, you know, I was talking to him sort of in preparation for this. For him, it was just a desire to use fertility awareness in the context of the church, essentially. Like he wanted Mm -hmm. to do this, this, this discerning every cycle what we wanted for our family and so for myself and of course i can only speak for myself the abstinence portion of natural family planning it was difficult initially in the fertile window because i am a very physical person that tends to be my top love language is physical touch Mm -hmm. but it it required developing maturity and communication that I personally am very grateful that this is a part of my fan practice, you know, because I'm, I've sort of grounded myself in my faith in this way. And I personally love the teaching of the church in terms of sexuality. And I think it's misunderstood, but beautiful. And so Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for this piece of the practice that developed sort of a communication with my husband in terms of what I need to feel loved 
and nurtured at times where maybe, you know, I I needed appreciation for my sexuality because estrogen was rising mm-hmm. and that's how I felt. I, you know, I feel very myself at this time and so being appreciated for who I was and, you know, that he saw that goodness in me and, you know, that attraction was still there for him and acknowledged, having that acknowledged was very important to me and it required a lot of communication. As we've been doing this for almost four years now, it's been a gift in that, in every, every person who uses fertility awareness has these sorts of conversations every cycle with their partner. You know, what do we want for our family, for our life right now, right? Having those conversations and talking about if children are something we want right now, could we see ourselves adding another kid? You know, it it really opens the doors for those sorts of conversations every cycle, and it requires respect, obviously. But I, and that's that's another misconception I didn't touch on. The church doesn't want people to just have children for this, like for the sake of having children. That's a big lie that you'll hear sort of touted that NSP can be used with a contraceptive mentality, and it's just not true. And even Pope Francis recently wrote about our duty to be mindful of the size of our families. You know, Catholic rabbits is like the sort of joke, and I swear I heard it in like an Avengers Mm -hmm. movie once. (laughs) Like, it's just so ubiquitous. You know, I just kind of rolled my eyes. But um, it's a big misconception. And it's honestly incredibly disrespectful to the people who want big families, like to look at a large family. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and say. Yeah, we we had this conversation. I had this conversation with Tammy mm. in another episode where, yeah, it's like what, like, yeah, that's my choice. And yeah. like how disrespectful it is to have like a comment about yeah. anybody's family size, but yeah. like especially people who have bigger families to make assumptions or like comments about yeah. that, like. In what world is that okay? Yeah, it's, it's completely <laughs> wrong because you may have someone yeah. struggling with fertility or you may have someone totally. um, yeah, who just genuinely is so happy with the size of their family. Yes. And I come from a Catholic community in, you know, southern Michigan where my family of five children was considered small. And hmm. that was incredibly difficult for my own mother who wanted more children, but, you know, her own right. fertility issues sort of prevented that but you know I it was normal for me to see 11 12 children so deeply loved and wanted but you know from the outside you'd look at that and be like oh those Mm -hmm. (laughs) NFP Catholics like yeah so anyway you know that's that's how natural family planning sort of shapes my life and how it applies to my spirituality it's it's just been sort of a deepening of my connection with my husband and an expression of what I need and what he needs as well. And, you know, I have found over time, it's, it's become a part of our relationship that I really appreciate for all the conversations that it's prompted. And that doesn't mean day to day, it's the easiest thing in the world, but yeah, I'm, you know, it's something I intend to do for a long time and, I don't mind when I get questions about it because it is sort of, it's, it's funny that 
NFP is considered a Catholic thing and fertility awareness is considered a Catholic thing when only 2% of Catholics use it. Yes. You know? I, know, I, was, surprised. <laughs> I was surprised when I heard that stat. Yeah. Because honestly, in my mind, it, in my mind, it's more than that. But of course, I yeah. only see Catholics who use NFP. So that makes sense that mm-hmm. I would assume 100% of Catholics use NFP. Yeah, no. Would you say, like, would it be accurate to say that NFP in the way that you practice it is an expression of your faith? I think so, because because of the way that my faith teaches sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I would I would absolutely say that it's a part of my personal faith practice. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful to hear your vulnerability and just like your own experience. I know that's not always easy to talk about your sex life on a podcast. So <laughs> I just I really appreciate you being open and vulnerable and honest. And I know that it's going to be really helpful for people to hear, just like put down the assumptions and put down the misconceptions that we hear and just like really um, hearing about someone's experience can be so powerful. So I really, really appreciate what you shared. Yes, thank you very much for just letting me come on and talk about it. And you know, one thing that I hope comes from this conversation is Fertility awareness is for everyone, and not everyone has the same faith background or beliefs. And I'm really encouraged to sort of see, like Center Pro, organizations recognize that, and this is a valuable tool for anyone, regardless of, you know, whether they ascribe to a certain religion or not. But also for anyone who is Catholic, you know, to know that maybe the grudges they have against NFP or the misconceptions they have about Mm. it are actually what the church teaches. And we really need sort of a inner organization, you know, restructuring of these programs and Mm. education that reflects, you know, the beauty of sexuality and the importance of woman's pleasure in like within, I don't know, our sex lives that we just don't get right now. And so there's there's a lot for everyone to sort of know about yes. fertility awareness and then using it within your own faith practice. And hopefully, hopefully, these sorts of conversations and the advocacy that you know so many of my amazing Catholic friends are doing will just change the culture. Yeah. Yeah, I was, and I'm glad you said that because that was going to be kind of like one of my final questions was just like around this reckoning of like, what I hear that you're kind of not wrestling with, but I guess reckoning with is like, Mm -hmm. how do we go forward? And like, how do we hold the teachings that we feel are sacred and that we want to appreciate and practice within a system that is maybe a little bit outdated or that Mm -hmm. maybe is disconnected from the, the meaning that these teachings hold. Maybe that's not accurate, but that's kind of what I hear is like so your colleagues and people kind of in the catholic circles that you're in are kind of changing the narrative around Mm -hmm. this it sounds like is there anything else that you are aware of or that you wish for or hope for on the horizon for nfp i i really just think awareness and better education 
yeah, we, we just need to go, you know, diocese by diocese, parish by parish. So, you know, within these communities and let people know that there are options, let people know what fertility awareness is, how it could fit into their, their faith lives, you know, <laughs> recognize that this image we're selling of, you know, this instant fix for marriage and this like blissful sex life that you'll have is maybe not the reality. And I wouldn't say by any terms my sex life is not blissful, but you know, just that it it it's different. That it takes yeah, that it's yeah, not like an it instant work. <laughs> it's not an instant thing. I mean yep. like that's what I I don't know. I feel like I tell people that too. Like I had someone ask me recently who's getting married, like, you know, what do you like what what would you tell someone who's never had sex before? And it's like yeah, yeah like whether you're married or not, the first time you have sex it's not going to be like fireworks and unicorns and rainbows and the most amazing thing in the world. Like it takes practice and it takes communication and it takes just like it. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's, we've been sold a lie. And I think Mm -hmm. that exists, that exists in the Catholic church, but I think it exists outside of it as well. Like with media and with our sex education and everything that we're surrounded by, I think it's a huge misconception. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, There's so much to say about how we represent sex in the media and, you know, how <laughs> couples, like, climaxing at the same time and, you know, no sort of, or very little. I know there are some shows now that are really emphasizing it, you know, what's truly required for you to feel as good as your partner. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know. And that's where I think instructors can really play a role because mm-hmm. for a lot of people, this is a very private topic. Not a lot of people yes. get on a podcast and broadcast their sex lives. No. <laughs> but establishing that relationship with people and then having them in a comfortable space where they can ask questions mm-hmm. like you got and where you can provide that sort of realistic view of, you know, what it takes for a sex life to really sort of develop and for you to find what you'd like out of it. I I think that comes from instructors changing the culture from within as well. Yeah. Yeah. And people being more open and honest about it. Yep. I think that you might need to come on the podcast again, Jamie, because it feels like, um, (laughs) feels like there's some other topics here we could really get into. I, and yeah, it's just like so much more I want to talk about. So we might need to, we might need to do this again. And yeah, if I'm being like fully open and like honest with you, I feel like our conversation has like really touched something in me. And like really, like I had goosebumps as you were speaking because I feel like it's just something that needs to be talked about and that is so healing to talk about and bring voice to. Mm-hmm. And I can't fully articulate what that is in me that, that you touched, but it's important and I just wanted to tell you that. To close off our conversation, the question that I ask everyone on the podcast is what does body literacy mean to you, Jamie? Mm-hmm. Body literacy to me is not only being aware of my fertility day to day, but also being more in tune with 
what my body needs. You know, I found even in the context context of the migraines I used to get, I'm just so much better at asking my body what it needs. I found that in pregnancy too, even without being in cycles. Stopping and being able to ask my body, what do you need? It has just been so incredible. And that's the gift of body literacy to me. Beautifully put. I couldn't agree more. Where can people find you on the internet, Jamie? So pretty simple. I make silly memes and I share hopefully more useful information in my stories on Instagram. I'm at following my body. I did just start a little blog that's just followingmybody.com. So I have a couple sort of blog posts up there and I intend to write a little more. But essentially, if you have to contact me, it'll navigate you back to Instagram and the email that I have there and everything. But yeah, pretty easy to find me. I'm just at following my body. Cool. And I'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for for taking the time to speak with me. I feel like this was a really important conversation to kind of round out this season of the podcast and Yeah, I know you haven't heard the whole season yet, but I think once you do, you'll find that this conversation fits really, really well. And yeah, just thanks for being here, Jamie. Thank you for having me and sort of letting me talk about how fertility awareness shapes my own life because um, I don't share about it much, but I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really, really appreciate you. If you want to continue learning from me, you can find me on Instagram at Fertility Awareness Project. And if you haven't yet taken FAM Fundamentals, it's a free video course that I've created to get you started and get you up and running with fertility awareness as birth control. You can get your copy of FAM Fundamentals free when you go to fertilityawarenessproject.ca slash fam fundamentals. All right, I'll see you in the next episode.